I realized that people are better than you think they are if you give them a chance. And also, I, I really learned so much more behind that thought of you never know what people have gone through or what they're going through. So I'm not going to say I'm more sympathetic, but I'm more compassionate probably and a little more patient to judge and a little also probably a little more patient to not judge myself so harshly because, you know, people, everybody's going through stuff. And, and I think the shame is in not recognizing it in yourself and in anybody else, because then you can't grow and you can't connect. Welcome to the Forging Metal Podcast. My name is Ron Duran Jr., and I will be your blacksmith as we explore the world of adversity and doing hard things. Come inside and grab your hammer. The fire is hot and ready. Let's get to work. The forge is now open. My guest today on The Forge is David Richmond. He was an impressive endurance sport resume. Over the last 10 years, David has completed 50 triathlons, including 15 Ironman distance triathlons, more than 50 runs longer than marathon distance, and most recently, biking 4,700 miles in just six weeks as he traveled across the country to meet participants of his upcoming book that we're going to talk about today, Exploring the Emotional Side of Cancer. This is a fun conversation. It gets a little bit deep at times, but I think this is a conversation we need to have, and it it does have an inspiring side to it. So stick with us as we navigate some difficult conversations on the topic of cancer and dying. David, thank you for being here today to share your time and wisdom with everybody that is either tuning in or watching on the YouTube channel. So I want to thank you for, for sharing your time. Absolutely, Ron. Very happy to be here. We're going to get to your latest book, which is quite fascinating. But before we do, I, I kind of want to start this with let's let's get to know David a little bit. And you have a, you have a really fascinating background, and some of which I can really relate to because you have a, a little bit of a background in endurance sports, maybe mm-hmm. more than a little. So I can you know I can at least speak speak that language of what that's like, but. You know, there was a time in your life when you were, and this is from your own description, you were a smoker, you were overweight, sedentary, you weren't happy with where you were. And so I'm always fascinated because I feel like there's a lot of people in that boat. I'm fascinated. What was the catalyst for you to to kind of just change your lifestyle and say, okay, enough is enough? <laughs> yeah, enough was enough. But it's funny. You don't know what you know until you know it. I just didn't know. Like, like I was just living life, right? Everybody just is living life. Like their life is whatever it is. And then all of a sudden you wake up and you go, what the hell am I doing? Like literally, what the hell am I doing? And, and for me, you know, the point came where I, I, even as a little kid, I was super observant. I was very like aware of my surroundings and that kind of made me, and I, I grew up in a pretty traumatic childhood and, and I was always like trying to fix things and trying to make people happy. And so I think I just grew up worried about uh, how other people were responding to me. I was seeking their approval. I was like worried about them. So, so I was very aware, right. And very observant, but not self-aware. And I, I never took that like hardcore look in the mirror and said like, who are you and what the heck do you want to be? And, and, and I did that at a time when it was just a super low point in my life. I had twins. They were four years old. 
really a tough career going, which was fine. I was a smoker. I was overweight. I was stressed out. I was not happy. I was in a, a marriage that was, was tough because she was an abusive alcoholic and, and, you know, you know, guys, you, you can't fight back, right? You just got to take it until you can't take it anymore. Right. And you either leave or you fight back. And I never would, would fight back. So it, it just, that situation just got worse and worse and worse. And, I kind of found myself like at this really low point run and somebody said something to me and somebody could have said it a week earlier or two weeks later and it wouldn't have hit me, but it hit me right at the right time. And I was, I was complaining to him. I was just like, dude, I mean, Chris, this, this, this is like, it, I'm at my ropes end. I'm just tired of, I'm tired of the abuse. I'm tired of her anger. I'm tired of all this nonsense. I'm tired of the stress and blah, blah, blah. And I'm, I'm bawling my eyes out to him. And he goes, he goes, dude, she's not the problem. Like life is not the problem. You're the problem. Mm. And I'm like, what? And I got all angry and I'm like, I'm not the problem. Do you know about this and about this and about that? And he goes, yeah. He goes, Every problem in your life, you treat it as if knowing that it's a rabid dog, you could still pet it and it's not going to bite you. He goes, life doesn't care about your feelings. She doesn't know any better. Like bad things happen. It's not personal to you. Why don't you think about you and why you keep putting yourself in a position to always want to try to go pet the rabid dog? Because you need to fix you. You don't need Ooh. to fix anybody else. And I'm like, whoa. I'm like, holy cow. So you mean I have a part in this whole nonsense, right? Because I, I didn't think that I did. I was always worried about the other side of it. And then I went, oh, man, maybe, maybe he's right. Maybe I do have to take a look at myself. And that was the start of it. You know, somebody just said the right thing at the right time. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've heard somebody say this. And, you know, I hear this idea of, of victim mentality, right? And then... You know, a lot of people say, well, I don't have victim mentality, but even myself that, that knows a lot about that, I sometimes slip into that where, where I want to blame others or blame fate. So I, I hear a little bit of that, but I heard somebody say this once, you are living exactly the life you have created for yourself. And I said, whoa, I was kind of like you. I said, wait a minute. If my life mm -hmm. sucks, there's a lot of things that are external that I didn't wish or, you know, whatever. And basically what he was saying is you have the power to change that. And, and so I, I hear echoes of that. And, you know, the idea that sometimes we plant seeds, right? And it just takes the right timing for those seeds to finally grow. And, and maybe that's what happened. So, all right. So here we are. You've had this catalyst. What, uh, what was the next step? Did you go, I'm going to go do an Ironman. So I'll tell you what, here's what the next step was. And, and just the, the, the you know, progression of, of our discussion made me think about this. And, and, and that is that, that along the way to that point, I had learned a ton of different lessons, right? I had been homeless. I've been robbed of everything at gunpoint when I was a teenager. I, I had run $100 million business for a major Wall Street firm with no college education, right? I mean, I'm doing like, like I've learned a ton of lessons. I just never applied them to myself. Right. I was a great leader. I was a great manager. I was a great like motivator, but I never one time tried to look at myself and go, mm. dude, why don't you apply a little bit about what you learned to yourself? I, so I, I think that when I did that, I, I, I in this very short period of time, I, I realized maybe I was the problem. 
then I said, if you're the problem, then why don't you live the life you want to live? Like you were just saying, right? Why don't you try to be who you're going to be? Which meant I don't want to be married to an abusive alcoholic. I don't want to be overweight. I don't want to be a smoker, right? I want to start worrying about the guy in the mirror, which means you're going to have to look in the mirror and see who the hell you want to be. Like, like what, what are you and who do you want to be? And then I realized, oh my gosh, I can start this, this process of working on myself. And which is really weird because who does that in their late thirties, right? Like takes a conscious like switch like that, but it's just some light turned on that just said, okay, you're supposed to worry about yourself. Like you're supposed to like stop fixing everybody else's problems and fix your own problems. And then at the same time, that was even given a little more starkness because at that same period of time when I'm saying, okay, I got to start taking a purposeful steps down my own path and it's okay to do that. I got to fix my own you know, stuff and I, I got to figure out who I want to be at that same time that I'm beginning this journey. I get a call from my sister who says, you know, she's long down her journey. She's married happily, kids, great career, great friends, living a really, really good life. We're very close in age. And she gets told that she has terminal brain cancer. So now she's starting down a journey where she's going to be ending her life. I'm feeling at that same point in time that I'm beginning a journey where I'm just starting to live. So it definitely had a little more kind of urgency and poignancy to the to the task at hand because I had to be faced with the reality that, you know, if I was her, would I have be, would I have so much regret about, about what I'm going to leave behind? I don't think I would have. And now I would, right. Cause I'm, I'm living a much better life. And, and, and so that, that really helped light a fire under me as well. Yeah. Don't feel bad that you went through this in your late thirties. I went through it in my late forties. Mm. Uh, you know, I like to say, I wish I would have figured it out sooner, but I also am quick to say, I'm glad I figured it out. There's people that go right to, you know, the end of their life and never figure it out. So it's never too late. If you're listening and and you feel like your life's not fulfilling and something's missing, maybe it's time to do what David and I have done and, and take a closer look and say, is this, is this it? Is this the life I want? So so we hear, I'm hearing a confluence, and, and this is starting to lead into your, your, your latest book, a confluence of kind of situations where you said, all right, it's time for me to look at my life differently. What do I want to be? And your sister was, um, you know, diagnosed with terminal cancer. I have a friend that's going through some, some pretty rough stuff with cancer right now. And I, I got to be honest, I, I oftentimes think about that could be me tomorrow. And I watch him, you know, fight this with courage and strength and, and I, but I also keep that in mind that all right, Ron, this could this could be you. We never know, right? And so, time's wasting. Let's live that live that life now. So, all right, so here we are, and yeah. this let's go right to your your book. I mean, you wrote a book called Cycle of Lives, and I'm not going to give away the the good stuff here, but it's a crazy wild story, and it was all driven by. Uh, a little bit of, of what your sister went through. So tell us a little yeah. bit about Cycle of Lives and uh, maybe an overview of what the book is about, because again, sure story. Yeah, it, it's a really, it's a really great book. I mean, I, I say that, but I mean, it's really, uh, I wrote it. So it's supposed to, it's, I'm supposed to say it's a great <laughs> book, right? But it really is a moving, inspirational, powerful book. And where, where, what, 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 where it came along is this. So I, 
I started along this journey of I want to become healthy and I want to become um, a non-smoker and I want to start worrying about myself and applying the lessons that I've learned to 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 better my own life. <clears throat> and I did and I did that. Right. I went from putting down cigarettes to three weeks later running a 5K, a month later running a 10K, and seven or eight months later I did my first Ironman. Right. Wow. So. I, I, my progression was pretty hardcore since then I've done like eight, eight, 17, 18 Ironmans, you know, hundred mile runs, you name it, a bunch, bunch of junk, but I'm right in the heart of trying to <clears throat> figure out this whole endurance thing and navigating, you know, this kind of like first few steps along my path and watching my sister on the last few steps of hers. <clears throat> and she made this pact with me. She said, look, David, she goes, I know I'm really sick. I know I'm going to die soon. But there's this there's this thing called a relay for life. It's it's put on by American Cancer Society, and they put a team together, and everybody from the team walks on the track. <clears throat> excuse me for some part of a 24 hour event, <clears throat> and it's used for education and for bonding and for you know inspiration and and just to support and raise money and it's this whole big thing and it's done all around the country. It's a huge huge deal. And she said, I want to be out there for the whole 24 hours. I want to watch all the people cheering me on. And I was like, well, geez, man, if you're going to, in your condition, be out there for 24 hours, I'll run the whole 24 hours. And so he made this pack a couple of months before the event. And like two days before the event, she dies. So Ooh. she's not able to get out there and, and watch it. Um, but I am able to get out there. So I go out there for the whole 24 hours and I'm running around the track you know, from morning until night and then through the night and back into morning. And I noticed, Ron, that there was a common theme that hit me. And when it hit me, I started to investigate it. And it was absolutely a common theme. And that is that people are good, not everybody, but most people are good at dealing with the tasks of their cancer. How do I get treatment? How do I get my kids watched when I go to chemo? What sources are there for me to have a better diet? These kind of things are good about but when it talks about the feelings, when you're talking about what, what does it feel like? What are you going through? How are you dealing with this, right? The, the guilt, the shame, the embarrassment, the, the, the fear, the desperation, the loneliness, all, all that, how, like, like how are we dealing with When it came to those kind of things, the vast majority of people weren't able to have those hard discussions. And I know positively because I can say this with absolute certainty. We all know somebody. Now, you you know somebody that's going through something. But we all know somebody who's going through something or who we kind of have a sense that they might have gone through something. But we kind of, oh, we don't want to, like, invade that feeling space. We don't want to, like, like, get too personal and say the wrong thing and maybe make them think about the negative side of what they're going through by our dumb questions or whatever. And so we kind of pull away. And, and so we, 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 we don't have the tools really to, to engage in like heart centered, authentic talks about the emotional facets of it. And so I wanted to write a book that would investigate, you know, a ton of different people's perspectives on that issue. Oh gosh. Yeah. I'm almost feeling, you know, I feel like I'm feeling bad right now because as you say this, I'm thinking of my friend 
who may actually be listening to this podcast right now, and I've never really asked him, how are you doing, you know, from an emotional standpoint? He doesn't talk about it. I don't ask about it. And so it's this un, mm-hmm. you know, unspoken thing. How can we get better at that? Is Do you have any advice from what you learned of, from my standpoint, how do I broach that topic? And again, I feel like I don't want to bring it up because it's it's negative and that's depressing. And, and I don't know, maybe we just gloss over that. that that's, again, probably faulty thing on my part but that's where my mind is it's an easy place to go ron i mean it's easy to not talk about those things because it's it's like oh man if i say the wrong thing i'm gonna sound like an a an a-hole if i if i if i invade their space maybe that maybe like they're having a good day and i'm gonna bring them down there's a million things that could go on where you gotta go geez i don't want to talk about it but it's possible and it's more likely the case that people are wondering, geez, you know what? Why, why am I so isolated? Like, why, why, why are people kind of, you know, stiff arming me, or, you know, even, you know, figuratively with with the emotional thing in this? Why aren't they asking me how I'm doing? And other people, they're like, like, you know, maybe your friend doesn't want sympathy. Maybe he doesn't want you to feel all sorry for him and look at him with puppy dog eyes. But maybe he wants to know that you care. I, I don't know the answers to those questions, right? Mm-hmm. But what I learned from uh, talking to people, and I spoke to oncologists, surgeons, nurses, survivors, loved ones, people that had been through cancer five different times in their adult life, people who were coming out of trauma such as abuse and suicide of a parent and, I mean, drug addiction, you name it. Like, I want, I wanted a full range of everybody we know all wrapped into a bunch of stories so that we can learn, like, what do you do? And, and I can't tell you what to do with your friend, but I can tell you that some of the things that you could learn from these, these stories of real non-anonymous people might spark something in you that might tell you what to do. Like for me, and I'm not saying it's wrong if, if, if somebody does this, but for me, anytime somebody tells me something like, I just found out my friend, their kid is going through cancer, or I just found out this piece of bad news about a coworker, or excuse me, this is happening to, to, I don't ever say I'm sorry, right? Because I've heard too many times from people, I don't want you to feel sorry for me. It wasn't your fault. You didn't do this. So don't tell me you're sorry. You can't make it better by telling me that you're sorry. So I go, okay. And instead of like, for example, if somebody says, yeah, you know, I lost my grandfather to cancer. I don't go, oh my gosh, that's so sad. I go, wow, were you close? Or I'll say, oh my gosh, no way. How long ago was that? You know, how do you feel about it? Like, oh my God, do you miss him? No, he was a total jerk. I'm glad the guy's gone. <laughs> well, whatever, right? You sure. don't know the answer to the question, but it's very, very rare instance. If you do it in a connective, real, authentic way, and you're not trying to give them sympathy, you're not trying to compare your broken finger to their cancer, right? You're not, right? You, you don't minimize things. You, you don't, you don't, simp- you know, throw on, you know, this kind of false sympathy thing. I think it, if you connect in a, in, a, in a way, you can't say the wrong thing wrong. You cannot say the wrong thing. I just feel like not saying anything is the wrong thing. If you say something, you can't say the wrong thing if you're if you're doing it from an authentic, heart-centered way. 
Gosh, this this brings back some old memories. I uh, once had a, a former girlfriend that, that passed away, and and a lot of people reached out to me, and that was wonderful that they did. But I remember thinking about eight out of ten of them said the wrong thing or, or mm-hmm. things. I know their heart was in the right place, but I felt like they just a lot of it was exactly what you're saying is I'm sorry or, or, or something along those lines, and it, it just. I remember thinking about that time that most people don't know what to say in that situation and they try, but, but they oftentimes do not do a good job with that. And I think what your advice is great, you know, have empathy and and just say, you know, as Brene Brown would say, just say, I I don't know what to say, but I'm I'm glad you told me that could be enough. And, And I think you would agree with that from what you said that, you know, don't try to fix it. I think a lot of people want, when somebody passes away, that's what we try to do, right? We want to take away your pain. I want to take away your pain, David. And so something that I'm going to say, I think is going to do that. And maybe we just need to sit with that pain, right? Is that, is it kind of what I'm hearing? Yeah, it's absolutely. And it's okay. I mean, look at bad things freaking happen all the time and it just sucks. And it's a part of life. And you don't want it to happen. And you know what? But, but, but it, it, you know, most of the time, it can't be what defines you. Most of the time, it is, a, it is something that you have to deal with. And it's unfortunate. You have a lot of wonderful things happen to you. Sometimes we have horribly tragic things to happen to us. And, you know, I mean, I, I can't speak to where you're at now or where you were when you, when you lost your girlfriend back then. Right. But I do know that it, that I've heard from the book participants and I understand where they come from now that if you and I were to have a discussion where you told me that I wouldn't go, Oh man, that must've been tough. What I would say is, Oh my God, you know, what was it like? How long ago was that? Like, how have you dealt with that? Like, right. Because I feel like by asking questions, it allows you to tell me what, what you're feeling. It gives you a safe space to know this dude like is actually caring Right. And I'm not, you know, I'm not telling you, I'm not trying to make it better. I'm not telling you whatever. I'm not comparing it to some loss I had. Right. I don't, I don't know. One of my book participants, Bobby, he had this crazy, crazy story. He's a wonderful, wonderful guy, tough fighter, you know, you know, not, not a real fighter like you were, but, but, but I mean, a a fighter, um, angry at the world you know, one wife uh, cheated on him. The other wife became a drug addict and he's just done with women. It's like, life is horrible. His business partner screws him. He's going out of business. He's near bankrupts. And he's just, he's just as angry as a man could ever be. And all of a sudden he meets this angel and he falls instantly in love with her. And she falls instantly in love with him. And she's the greatest thing ever. She's everything positive that you could want in a partner brings out the best in him he brings out the best in her. They're great together. Shortly after they meet, she gets breast cancer. They fight it. They get married. Right before they get married, the breast cancer comes back, and it comes back pretty aggressively. They get married. They deal with treatment. Within a year or change, she's, she's gone. She, uh, you know, just every kind of metastasis you could imagine. And fast forward to, I mean, like, like what a freaking horrible situation. I mean, imagine, yeah, imagine you, it as you say it. Yeah. Imagine you finally get to that level. Right. And, and uh, to, to understand his transformation is to understand what Brandy told him before she died. She's like, I'm so pissed off because somebody's going to get the best Bobby. Like I made you the best man you're ever going to be. And somebody else is going to be able to enjoy that. 
but nobody is going to be able to enjoy it until you go get therapy. You deal with this loss. I mean, they talked about everything, right? Mm. So she passes away. Obviously, it, it, it's hard, but, but he's already kind of processed it because they talked about everything. And shortly thereafter, he meets someone, okay? Somebody that he knew in high school that he had a, a small affair with. And this is, you know, obviously later in life. And they've been married for maybe six or eight years when I spoke to him about his, his story. And he said to me, he said, and it's just a wonderful, uh, inspirational thing. He said to me, what I went through is the most horrible thing you could ever imagine. And if she didn't die, we would be happily married. We would have kids. We would be living this incredible life. He goes, but that didn't happen. She died. He goes, and the life I have now, I wouldn't trade it for a thing. Hmm. I am happy. I, I'm married to somebody who, who makes me feel good every single day. He goes, I love my life. It could have gone a different way, but it didn't. And I'm just like, whoa, right? That is some serious perspective is, is that whole like, like, if that didn't happen, I'd be in a much different place. But I'm here now, and I'm as happy as I could be. So I can't, I can't dwell on the tragedy that I went through. It was tragic. It was horrible. It was the worst thing that ever happened. But I'm here today, and I'm in a good place today. I'm in the best place I could ever be, he says. Imagine. And that's, that's a real important lesson to take. Yeah, gosh, you know, and I'm sure you're familiar with the term post-traumatic growth. I mean, this sounds like mm-hmm. post-traumatic growth, and I'm, I'm fascinated by that topic and, and why some people tend to go the path of, of this, this gentleman, and some go down certainly a more negative path. And, and why is that? I don't, you know, th- I think the answers are not easy from, from what I've read in the research, but it is fascinating to me that something that tragic can actually kind of be a catalyst to a better life for some people. All right. So back to our, you know, mm-hmm. this book, we're talking about this book, but, but for our listeners that are going, okay, you got to give me some more details on this book. You know, <laughs> you, you talk about these people right. you've talked to, how many were there? Yep. What did this, this crazy adventure entail? Yep. Where did you go and how did you get there? You know, those yeah. kind of things. Like, give me, give me a little lay of the land of what this it, book uh, well, is about. It's pretty cool. It's, it's pretty cool because what I, look, we, we, we talked about it. I don't know if we talked about it at the beginning of the podcast or right before when we, when we were talking a little bit is there's, there's like these winners, right? These overachievers, these really inspirational kind of like one-off, stories like you know but honestly i don't have much in common with elon musk or oprah winfrey or michael jordan or you know tiger woods or whomever i don't have anything in common with them i mean their stories are kind of interesting and inspirational but honestly can i apply it to my own life no i'm never going to grow up to be Shaq. right it's just not going to happen so i'm not really moved by those kind of stories like they're interesting and they're fun but it, I, I don't know how to apply that stuff to my own life what I can apply to my own life is real life. Like what you learn when you're running a hundred miles, you know, what you see somebody inspiring you because of the circumstances that they go through. And they're, they're, these kind of things move me. And I feel like these kind of things move most people. So what I wanted to do is to grab a range of age, a fee, just everything from the fear of cancer to living with cancer your whole life from a caregiver to a receiver, to a survivor, to a loved one. I wanted people who had crazy, wild emotional responses, everything from anger and fear to, if you can imagine, gratitude for their cancer. And I wanted to all different types of cancer. And I wanted to 
talk about, so Ron, if, if cancer came into their life, no matter forgiver, receiver, whatever, that was point A. Today is point B. How do they go from A to B emotionally in relation to the traumas that happened before A? So the things that you and I can identify with, suicide, death of a, of a spouse, drug addiction, abandonment, bankruptcy, making bad decisions, having a bad childhood, whatever. How did those things affect them along this, this emotional journey? So I, I called hospitals and cancer centers and I asked friends, hey, who do you know that's got a really cool story? And I just kind of filled in this wheel of all these different things so that I could give this 360 view of this emotional experience. So then when I found all these people, I talked to them on the phone, sometimes dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of hours. Sometimes we weren't able to go where we needed to go and they kind of fell by the wayside or I wasn't skilled enough to take them where we needed to go or it was too raw or it was too boring or whatever. And But then eventually I got down to the 15 stories that were in the book that are just stunningly unique and inspirational and, you know, really impactful, evocative stories. And then I said, well, hey, if we're all connected by story and we're connected by emotion, why don't I get on a bike? And why don't I bike to go meet all these people for the first time who I'd been talking to for the last couple of years? So I biked from basically from California to Florida and then up to New York in kind of a zigzaggy way. You'll understand this as an endurance athlete. I did 4,700 miles in 45 days. So I did a lot. It's like two Tour de France's back to back, like with like with not a whole lot of help. No Peloton. I'm out, I'm out there on my own. <laughs> and and then I connected the stories. So the book is each one of these 15 stories told first person from their perspective. So I'm not in the story. It's not a preachy prescriptive kind of thing. It's just a, a little novelette, a little tiny little 15 to 25 page story of their life. And then in between that, I talk about the people I met along the way of the bike ride, you know, kind of processing the emotions of losing my sister and life and lessons learned and that kind of stuff. Okay. So I'm thinking to myself, number one, I've, I've done uh, a couple of multi-day rides and, and just so we can, we can put this in perspective. My yeah. multi-day rides are three days, about 60 miles a day. So yeah. you know, roughly 180, 180 miles in three days. Yeah. And you're doing a hundred, roughly a hundred miles a day for 45 days. Wow. 120 yeah. a day on a big steel bike. <laughs> And Ron, if you ever tried to bike across the country, especially from California to Florida and up to New York, just realize there's only one truth and that it doesn't matter what direction you're heading. The wind is always in your face. It's, it's, it's literally, it was like, it, it, it was like biblical. It was like, yes. are you kidding me? I mean, if I'm going south, the wind's coming from the south. If I'm heading east, it's coming in from the east. If I'm heading northeast, it's coming in from the northeast. It was. I'm laughing because if you spend any time in endurance uh, sports, it, it it's crazy. I, you know, you'll do an out and back race, and anybody that's an endurance athlete on this that's listening knows what I'm talking about. You can do an out and back race, and it's like the wind's in your face on the way out, and you turn around, and the <laughs> yeah. wind switches directions, and it's oh in my your god, face I, I did that! I did, I did Ironman Chattanooga in September this past September. Just for those listening, that's like five, six months ago, and it's exactly that. I'm like on the outward bound. I'm like, why is the wind in my face? Well, at least I'll have it on my back. Yeah. Wait, how did it turn? Oh wait, it's later in the day. It's warmer. Okay, I get it, but why? 
It's just yeah. so stupid. But then uh, whatever, you know, but it did cause for some long days, Ron. I, I was, I took four days off in 45 days. So I, I, so I biked for 41 days, 4,700 miles. That's about 120 miles a day. Uh, the longest day I think was 156. The, the shortest day was about 80. And most days were 11 to 13 or 14 hours because I'm stopping along the way. I got flat tires because I'm on the highway. I'm on the interstates yeah, the whole time. So I'm getting a lot of flat tires every day from all the little blown mm-hmm. apart steel belted radials. And uh, and then, you know, I got to hydrate. I got to get my food. I got to change. Oh, it's just, it was, it was crazy, crazy, crazy long days. But uh, also for anybody that does endurance athletics, you also know that it, the, uh, those long stretches can be super contemplative. And so I was able to contemplate the stories and really be present with what was going on around me. Every single day I ran into people who would tell me, oh my God, you know, my, my, my grandfather just died and I don't know what to say to my grandma or somebody at work, you know, just told me some something and I don't even know what to say to him. And you know, like, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't want to talk to I, my half. My family doesn't even know I had cancer. I don't like to talk about it. And mm-hmm. it's like, what the heck? Every single day I ran into somebody who had the same kind of theme of they weren't really equipped to talk about or to talk to others about this, this, this thing of cancer, the emotional side of it. Sure. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking to myself, I've, I've done a couple rides where I was in the saddle for, you know, 10 hours. And I always, I always laugh, and you probably could relate to this, is once you spent 10 hours on a bicycle saddle, which I sometimes I think they're, they're torture devices, you'll never look at an airline seat as uncomfortable <laughs> ever again. You go, you know, once you've done that, nothing else is, is, is nearly, in my mind, as, as uncomfortable as that. So, well, here's the thing. All right, so, David, I love this. You know, you're going to go visit these 15 people. Why not just jump on an airline and fly and go see these people? Why did you say, I'm going to do this as a 5,000-mile bike? You know, I'd like to say there's some noble purpose. of It, it started out being kind of gimmicky because – I, th- I said to myself, oh, I've got this 360, this wheel of emotion. I've got this, you know, there's there's a famous uh, guy, Plotchik, who came out with the wheel of emotions. And, and then I got I got the wheel of ages and I've got I've got I, I've got this whole section I'm filling in. And I'm like, oh, man, it's like a wheel. It's, it's like a wheel on a bicycle. So I come up with this logo of of this of this of the cyclist on on two on on this infinity sign with a couple of wheels and i'm like wow man i'm like filled in every little section in between all the spokes i've covered like 360 of everything and then i keep talking about how we're all connected by story and who doesn't when you say hey let me tell you a story who doesn't lean in right that we all want to hear a good story we're all connected by the same kind of basic emotions so i said what better way to connect everybody than to draw a line across the country connecting them and kind of I I I was thinking about something I wrote in the book and it's it's so powerful only because I I lived it but everybody I kept coming up with this word I was about 3,000 miles in so so before it it hit me but I, I was worried about each individual's problems including my own problems and I just started thinking everybody has problems like every single person like everybody Everybody has these issues and, and some a lot more stark than others. Some turn out fine and some don't turn out fine, but everybody is going through something 
or has gone through something. Everybody has a deep-seated emotional trauma on whatever scale it is. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I'm not going to say that losing a fingertip is any less traumatic than losing an arm. Right. I, I, I'm not judging it. They're both traumatic, right? They're both trauma. Losing a third cousin can be just as traumatic as losing a loved one. I don't know what the, I'm not judging, right? Trauma is trauma. Everybody's living their own life. And so I thought everybody, well, that's a cool thing. So I'm glad that I did the bike ride because I got such in-depth every single day running into this recurring theme that everybody is dealing with these issues. Everybody's dealing with how do I navigate the emotional side of this trauma, whatever it is, and how do I talk to people? How do I stop self-isolating? How do I uh, give a space for people to talk to me? How do I invade their space to talk to them? These are things that everybody was dealing with and is dealing with. And so it just, it just made it more purposeful that I went on the bike ride. Yeah, I think there's there's a good message in there, right? And I think a lot of people like to think that their problems are unique, right? Nobody else is, is suffering like I am or, you know, there's something very special about my problems. And I think the first thing we want to we wanna realize is, yeah, everybody's got their problems. Everybody's got their suffering. And, and there's somebody out there that is going through uh, something very similar to what you're going through. Or, or has. Yeah. Right? Let, let me tell you a quick story, right? One of the guys I spoke to, okay, he's very well off financially okay married a couple of kids he's the chief medical officer of a big insurance plan he is like king of the world right at least you would think commands respect he's you know he's got good station in life and you know he's, he talks like he's like so calm and who he is and comfortable in his skin <clears throat> excuse me and and as i talked to him because i'm actually asked him if he knew anybody that might be good for the book. And then as I started talking to him, I realized, oh, he's good for the book. So <laughs> what, do you, what do you realize when I go down further? He's got, he went through a horrible divorce before. He's married now and happily married. But he had one time in his life, he went through a horrible divorce, like the worst, one of the worst stories I've ever heard. Okay? And part of that was in part because he has a severely disabled son and that he cares for. And I'm like, wow, imagine he had gone gone through that so i'm getting to the end of his story and 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 we're talking about how he's like one generation away from maybe ending up in the in the in the in the farm you know in the fields you know as a farm worker he's like one generation away from that right and so he's got this whole life that he's le leading early in life is to say uh, he's being told by his relatives and he's thinking, I got to do better. I got to go to school. I got to get my education. I got to become a doctor. I got uh, right. I got to, I got to like get a, as far away from that reality as possible. And when he's going through his divorce and he's a doctor and he's, he's having a tough time with his jobs because he's the 100% full-time caregiver for his kids, including one who's severely disabled. He tells me of a day when he realized he loved his life. And I said, wow, when was that? And he goes, I, I, my kids were at, at, at school and I didn't have any money in the bank. And he goes, I had moved from job to job because of all, all these situations. And it was like kind of desperate. Like I had to go get my paycheck in order to cash it to go to the grocery store. So I get in the car and the car's empty. And I open my, my wallet and I go, fuck, man, I don't have any credit cards. I don't have any cash. He goes, well, what am I going to do? He goes, I'm a freaking doctor. 
I don't have any money. So he goes into the house and he starts pulling the cushions off the sofas and he mm. digs around for change. And he goes through all his drawers and he finally gets like, like several bucks together. He goes and gets gas. He goes to pick up his paycheck. He cashes it. He goes to the store. He picks up some spaghetti and he's sitting around the dinner table with his kids watching a movie, eating spaghetti going, I mean, what the hell? I love my life. Like, what am I going to do? Now, when I look at that guy, do I ever know that he had that kind of trauma in his life? Hell no. You never know what people have gone yeah. through. I could not imagine that a guy like that, fully into his career, fully into life, is digging through his sofa for change. Now, if a guy like that, overcoming what he's overcome and going through what he's gone through and the trauma and the embarrassment and the shame and the, and the anger and all of this stuff, and, he, and, and he's digging for coins going, I love my life, what the hell do I have to complain about? Good point. It's perspective, right? And, and I think, you know, this certainly we're not going to go down this rabbit hole, but this is the problem with a lot of social media is we see we see these people and we think, oh, there's nothing, you know, they, they got such a great life and, and mine's all screwed up, but theirs is, is I don't know, I'll use the word perfect. And we don't know what's behind the curtain, right? As you said, again, I have yet to meet anybody, and I've met some pretty successful, I'm going to put successful in quotes, I've met some very successful people, even on this podcast. And when they get honest, they say, yeah, I have my struggles too. So I think for everybody that's listening, just realize uh, you're not the only one that, that maybe is, is searching your, your couch cushions for a little bit of money. I certainly did that when I was in college. Um, yeah, could you imagine your doctor was doing yeah, that? Just, yeah, just that's a, a good couple point. of years that's ago. A good point. And and he had to do it because he lost everything in a divorce and he lost everything in a divorce because he he wanted to give his child personal care. Yeah. And I mean, imagine, imagine what he had gone through. And and I it just gives you so much like what you just said, perspective. But I love this idea that that, you know, we're just passerbyers in everybody else's life and they're just passerbyers in ours. And so what you see is not really what's there. Just like good, nobody knows good. you, right? You got to live yep. your own life. You got to live your own life. We're all connected in that way. All right. Mm -hmm. So here we are, you know, again, roughly 5,000 miles on a bike and, and long days on the bike. And I know from my endurance background, the, those that you get locked inside your mind. You know, a lot of people ask me when you run 50 miles, what's that? Do you get bored? And I go, well, yeah, <laughs> you're stuck with, with an audience of one for a long time. And you did this multiple days. I have to assume you learned a lot about yourself in, mm -hmm. in that time. How did this, and I was going to, I was going to call it a project. How did this project change you? But how did this story change you, David, as you rode across this, this country, uh, roughly 5,000 miles and meet all these people, you came out of this a different person. I would have to assume what did, what did you learn from that? Yeah, it's a great, great question, Ron. I, I, you know, I could make a list of, and I certainly talk about it in the book. I make a list of, uh, I don't, I didn't make a list of lessons learned, but I, I, I talk about all the, I, I learned dozens and dozens of just very, very impactful lessons. I mean, I'll never forget. I'm in Louisiana, okay, at the end of just a absolutely brutal day, and the only restaurant open is this little family Italian restaurant, right? And I pull in, uh, Buddy was there with me, had flown out to, to support me for a couple of days. And we're just gobbling up all this food. And, and, and the, the waitress over here is me talking. So we start talking about the 
the project. And she's like, oh my God, cancer has been in my life and here's why. And all of a sudden then another waitress comes by and then the owner comes by. So the owner and the three waitresses were talking to us for the rest of the night. It's a tiny little family restaurant. At the end of the night, the owner says, no, I'm buying your meal. And I'm like, oh, that's very sweet. And the th- three waitresses uh, say, can we take, take a picture with you? And so I took a picture and they said, we really want to thank you for what we're doing. It wouldn't be the worst thing for us to give you a night full of tips to, to give because they know all the money's going to charity. And uh, it was the sweetest thing ever. And I, I get back to the hotel and I, I make a little deposit in into the thing from my credit card to make up for the cash. And I open up the envelope. It's got like 60 bucks in it. And I'm like, that was a night's tip for three women who might have had second jobs, might have been single, might have been support helping to support a family. And they, I'm some stranger that comes by and they want to give a night's worth it. I mean, what? I realized that pe- people are better than you think they are if you give them a chance. And also, I, I really learned so much more behind that thought of you never know what people have gone through or what they're going through. So I'm not going to say I'm more sympathetic but i'm more compassionate probably and a little more patient to judge and a little also probably a little more patient to not judge myself so harshly because you know people everybody's going through stuff and and i think the shame is in not recognizing it in yourself and in anybody else because then you can't grow and you can't connect and for me that you know it's getting a little bit off topic but that that all that transformation comes from like being aware of where you're at, like forgiving yourself for not being a certain way and then leaning into who you want to be. And, and, and I'm forced to lean into being a compassionate person, having met all these unbelievable, fantastic people who were so giving and so thoughtful and so, you know, searching for an answer to how do we deal with these, these things. And, and, and it just bonded us closer, even if we're just just for a minute. And so that's the lesson I learned most is that everybody's going through something. And if we can connect at a deeper level, it's very, very meaningful. Even Mm -hmm. if it's just in passing, even if it's just in passing. Yeah. And I feel like that's going to be my lesson to take away from this, especially in this divided time that we especially in the United States, just uh, trust the good. You know, people are, are, are better. Uh, I mean, we, I think we're, we're getting very divided and we're looking at people as the enemy. And, and I think what I'm hearing from you is there's good in people if we give them a, a chance to show that and, and to connect with them. I think people want to connect and, and know that they're being seen and heard, right? Mm-hmm. This is good stuff. And I want to be, certainly want to be respective of your time. And, and I, we're, we're running out of time here. This has been a fun conversation, but how, David, can people connect with you, work with you? I think you, you do speaking. So what do you got going on and how can people get involved? Sure. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. So if it's, if it's for like a cancer organization or a nonprofit type event, I do speaking for free. The books are, are sold, whether they're sold through Amazon and my publisher takes their cut or I, they're sold directly and I get the, the proceeds. Whatever comes to me from my publisher from directly goes to charities and the charities are listed in the book because each one of the book participants chose an organization that was special to them. So I said, okay, we'll, we'll support those in perpetuity. So, so book sales, whether it's Audible and Amazon or Barnes and Noble or 
wherever when I do speaking gigs, sometimes, you know, somebody will buy, you know, hundreds of books or whatever, all the proceeds just go directly to those charities. So, so that's that they can find information on cycleoflives.org. They could look at David Richmond's cycle of lives, get the book. The audible is awesome. Totally moving 15 different actors, each one doing one of the different uh, people. It's very moving, very inspirational. I have it in tablet form books, wherever books are sold. And, you know, thankfully the book is doing well and, and people, you know, are, are, they they respond to me like I didn't know it was so inspirational. Like I thought it was going to be super heavy, and and a lot of the stories are heavy, but they're very inspirational too. And and what can we learn from that? Because who who isn't going through or has who hasn't gone through heavy times, right? Yeah, good. And, and all that, as as always, will be in the show notes. All those links that that David just mentioned. So let's get to our signature question. If, if yeah, this is this is the this is the <laughs> tough one. What is your greatest failure, and what did you learn from it? Yeah, like so, I didn't I didn't exactly come as a shock that you were going to ask me that question, but but I, you know, I, look, I made bad financial decisions, been failures, right? I've I've done I I, I probably have made a lot of, but I mean, if I were to if if you were to have to say, okay, listen, you're going to give me your house that this one is not your biggest failure, even though it's going to sound a little, a little, it really is the biggest failure. And, and, but I've forgiven myself for it. And that is, I, I didn't worry about myself until too late in life. Do you know, like, man, if I would have just taken some of my own advice that I was dishing out, you know, if I, the lessons that I was learning through difficult things I've gone through that was helping other people or furthering my career or whatever, but I never like focused it on myself. And I'd, I'd say my, my biggest failure, although, you know, I've forgiven myself and long moved on from it, but gosh, I wish somebody would have been along early in life to tell me like, it's supposed to be hard. Like, it's okay. Like it's supposed to be hard. Like, like don't just fight against how hard it is. Right. And don't try to fix everything. And don't all these lessons. If I could have just like listened to myself. So I think my biggest failure is is not being told to or not understanding that I need to to worry about myself first. And and thankfully, I've learned it early enough in life that I can lean into how to become a better person, you know, but, but I sure would have liked to have been on that path a lot sooner. Thanks for joining us this week. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell all your friends. If you didn't, let's just forget this happened and we'll try again next week. Until then, join the revolution to forge metal and connect with us on social media.